Hey, Jeff Johnston here, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. Uh, have a really exciting conversation set up today with Tom Herb from just outside of Maryland. And um, Tom and I met like, I seems like I meet everybody today is on social media. So I think it was LinkedIn. Uh, Tom, you and I hit it off on our pre-podcast uh, uh, conversation. I'm really excited about continuing all the different roads we went down. But again, first, thank you for coming on the show and super excited for you to share your story. Awesome, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And to your point, you know, doing many great things out there, being an advocate in the LinkedIn community where the impact can be made significantly across the business community and others. And, you know, saw you out there. I saw you in some other social media channels. And of course, I know you've got that connection to John Shinholster and he's near and dear to our organization, the Hoffa Foundation as well. Um, and so through all that, you know, uh, here we are. Yeah, I, I just think the world of John, it's funny when I was designing our tour last summer, uh, for those people that aren't familiar with it, I took my two boys around the country in an RV and uh, I just kind of randomly searched on social media and my my team searched and ran across this guy, John Schinholzer. And I reached out to Mick Shin and, you know, talked to Honesty Liller and she was excited. And then when I started telling people some of the places we committed to and I said, Mick Shin, they're like, what? You're going you're going to go to Mick Shin? It's like I didn't realize the impact that McShin and John and honesty and all the wonderful people at that organization have had, not just in the area of, uh, um, uh, Virginia there, um, Richmond, Virginia, right area. Yeah. Um, is nationally, uh, the impact that they've had. And, and John is just, um, you know, he's on the Mount Rushmore of recovery and advocacy. I, I, I think. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, he's hands down. When we first uh, got started, we didn't know what we were doing as a family, losing a loved one and wanting to get out there and make an impact. It's kind of like, where do you even begin? And thankfully, one of our board members, uh, Melissa McCarthy, made the connection to John and Carol. And I'll never forget the first call we had with John, the first video conference. And some of the things he said to us that we've got to get doing it. You know, we have to be doing it as far as rolling the sleeves up and make a difference in the backyard. It all starts right there. And, um, you know, just guiding us along the way. So. To your point, you know, if there's a, a Mount Rushmore uh, of this, uh, he certainly would be on it for sure. You know, you can spend thousands of dollars going to college, getting education, or you can spend a few days with John, <laughs> you know, and it's like, man, I walked, I walked out of there just a lot wiser, a lot more respectful. And, um, you know, just, I don't know. It's just, uh, I was telling you when we talked the other day, just the, the, the people I'm meeting, you know, and just the the ability to share our stories. And we're going to talk about, about Hoffa and about what's that, what your organization's all about in a second. But I know you and I certainly would agree that being vulnerable and, and telling our stories isn't about us getting sympathy or us getting attention. Uh, it's more of, I'm okay with empathy and compassion, right? I mean, we want people to, you know, provide us with empathy and compassion that gives us strength, but it, it gives permission for the other person to share their story. And, you know, you and I are comfortable wearing our hearts on the sleeves, but you have to admit when you meet somebody at a presentation or a conversation you're having, and maybe they've been holding it in for a long time uh, that they have trauma and you tell your story, don't you think they feel a bit better about opening up to you? I would say, by the way, Jeff, this is my first time on a podcast that's going to be on LinkedIn. Like, cause I know you Put yourself out on LinkedIn and you know most of my podcast stuff has been in the Facebook community kind of staying in the personal world and I'm glad I'm on LinkedIn and here's why for the longest time you know I'm 
one of those people that thought, hey, if we bring up these types of conversations in the workplace, it could, you know, one, hinder our opportunity to advance forward, right. um, you know, promotion. You start thinking all these things. If I even talk about this right now, it could work against me. So therefore, I'm not going to bring it up. And right. I did that for way too long. And, you know, as hard as it, it, as it is, uh, losing my younger brother, my best friend, uh, really broke me through that barrier and uh, created a pathway to where, um, frankly, didn't care anymore about bringing mm -hmm. it up. And, mm -hmm. and, and the more I brought it up in the workplace, the more I found out, to your point, that other people do want to talk about it. They're just waiting for somebody else to kind of lead the charge. And, you know, once that happens, all of a sudden you can see, you know, on their face and just how they feel like, wow, like, you know what? It is okay if I have this conversation, whether it's about them, their significant other, could be their child, could be their neighbor. We all know this stuff doesn't discriminate. But, uh, you know, being out here right now in LinkedIn with this conversation, um, I know you have a lot of people you're connected to and so do mm -hmm. I. And I can't wait for them to hear this message because I've shared it with people on the sideline in other areas. But uh, here I am. Uh, I'm out there now, you know, carrying this flag to say, hey, we need more people out there, you know, to, uh, to to stand up in the workplace and really, you know, break that stigma that resides within the workplace community as well. Let's talk about Hoffa, uh, Healing Opportunity Free from Addiction. And I'm just reading that off your shirt. So that helped me with my, my cue card there. <laughs> uh, but tell me about the organization, who, who, who it's for, what it represents, and how can people, um, how can people help? Absolutely. So it's interesting. Um, this all started, uh, a couple of days after my brother had passed away. Um, my brother, Jimmy, um, you know, we all had nicknames growing up and, uh, his just happened to be Hoffa with his friends and they all had some fun with it. And you know what? We couldn't give that up when, you know, he passed away as far as keeping his spirit alive. Mm -hmm. So of course we converted this into an acronym most importantly, but it all began over a cup of coffee. And people are like, how did it even start that way? Because we have coffee out there called Hoffa Beans. And I share this story with everyone because it ties right into what we do every day around connecting people. It's so important to connect. And a couple of days after he had passed away, uh, during his final moment with us, now my family owns a funeral home uh, in Carroll County, Maryland called the Zumbron Funeral Home. So as you could imagine, um, your, your brother's uh, services, your son's services are in his home. This is where we grew up. We lived in the funeral right. home. That's the business, right? And so uh, our final moment with him before we went to the crematory, um, you know, I had a cup of coffee in hand and my older brother put an empty mug on his hands uh, in the casket and kind of said our little you know, final goodbye there. We always enjoyed to have uh, as a family breakfast together and just connect and have fun and make fun of each other. You know how it goes, right, with the family. And so, oh, yeah, that was my final, final moment with, with Jimmy was over that cup of coffee like that. And I, you know, a couple of days went by after. Uh, his services. And I'm thinking to myself, my mind's stirring. I just want to keep his spirit alive. What can I do to keep his spirit alive? All of a sudden I said, you know what? Hoffa, beans, coffee. That was our last moment. It brings people together. Um, the acronym was born. I'm on the phone with a company out in Seattle, Washington, a coffee supplier, a bad company, a designer in Arizona. And within 30 days, hoffabeans.org was spun up. And our mission around that was to create conversation, create connection. Coffee brings people together and all the proceeds associated um, with the sale of the coffee is going to go to local nonprofits out there fighting addiction. Well, awesome. website comes on uh, in October, late October of 2019, two months after he had passed away. And within 30 days, 2000 pounds of coffee uh, out the door, 25 different States. The coffee tastes really good, but more important to that people got behind the mission as to what we were doing 
And so it wasn't too long after the coffee thing was going that people were like, hey, you all can make bigger impact in the community. Why don't you create a foundation and do something that's, you know, just as big with making impact? So we, we created the Hoffa Foundation. We formed a board um, that we believe sees addiction through different lenses, meaning we have people on our board that are in recovery. We have people mm. on our board with kids in recovery. We have right. people on our board that have lost loved ones. And we had our first official board meeting uh, in January of 2021. Um, so, you know, two years ago now. Right. And we decided at that point in time, very first meeting, that we were going to open up a recovery residence in our hometown here uh, for men. And by April, we purchased a home. By July, our house manager moved in. And over the next 30, 60, 90 days, um, we now have you know, men in our home, seven men in our home um, in the recovery journey. And our board, my family, my mother, father, everyone, um, sister, um, my best friends, folks that I just met for the first time that have become great friends. Uh, we put our time, energy, and effort into that home and ensure that those guys there have what they need to get back on their feet, to get out there and be productive members of society and that whatever it takes attitude. So that's kind of where we are now. There's a lot more to it, Jeff, than that. Um, but I know for yeah. sake of time, I'll keep it brief. But that's kind of how the whole thing got started. Well, I know Jimmy's proud of you. Um, tell me a little bit about him. Tell me a couple things that you want our followers to know about him. Had a heart of gold. I mean, you know, he would, Jimmy was like this, um, because the, the amount of people, the thousands of people that showed up to his services, I mean, we couldn't believe the amount of people that had showed up for, for him and, and our family. And it was incredible. I mean, blocking traffic, it was, I mean, being in that business, you get to see big services and right. hands down, my family said one of the biggest service services, if not the biggest they've ever seen in the, in the history. And, and so the reason being is um, as the line coming through to see the family, we heard all these different stories from different people. And the one common denominator was Jimmy didn't care what you looked like, what type of music you listened to, you know, where you grew up, how much money you made. He didn't care about any of that, mm -hmm. right? When he was your friend, you had a friend for life. And he would always plug himself into all these different circles, right? Some people call them cliques, right? Yeah. Groups of people. He plugged himself into so many different cliques and groups of people uh, and had so much love and respect uh, for everyone. It was just incredible to see. And that's what's really instilled in the culture of our foundation is his love for others as what we're projecting out there. And, you know, it's love and respect. And so, you know, I'm not a six foot, six foot four person. Um, Jimmy is six foot four, big guy. Uh, diehard uh, Baltimore uh, sports fan, be it the Ravens, uh, the mm -hmm. Orioles, you name it, uh, community player. And, um, you know, just again, a, a heart of gold, Jeff. I mean, I miss him so much. We all do. But when you see the impact that he's making, um, you know, he's here in spirit. We know it. It's incredible. So. So what was his addiction journey like? You know, I, I can speak on behalf of what my son and my wife went through and even my own journey. But um, when did it start? How long was it? Um, how dark did it get? Um, just, you know, maybe somebody listening can relate and, and turn their life around. Yeah, this, this is a piece that I hope that, um, you know, everyone out there that's, that's listening right now and watching this really pays attention to because we've all have heard this story before. Most of us have heard this story where Jimmy's addiction started when he was T-boned at an intersection and, and injured his neck. Mm. Okay. So he's got a neck injury. How old Obviously, was he at this time? 
I'm sorry. Say it again. How old was he? Jimmy was, wow. He was, he passed away when he was 35. So he was, you know, in his late twenties, um, when this occurred. So prior to this, he had no substance abuse issue that you guys know of? Not, no. I mean, you know, wow. certainly we've all had, you know, our fair share of, you know, uh, out, when I say we all oh, yeah. drinking, right? Yep. Um, yep. But as far as getting into things that obviously led to his death, I mean, he, that was not Jimmy. Um, okay. You know, and so he was prescribed uh, pain medication and, you know, over the course of time that had begun to uh, escalate. Um, as a family, right? Here we go. As a family, um, we had certainly um, been well aware that, you know, Jimmy uh, had some challenges associated with that. And we were working as a family to get him the help that he needed. What we didn't know was the magnitude of his addiction. Mm. And we didn't know the other things that he was doing when he couldn't get his hands on the, the painkillers, right? And, and these, in these prescriptions out there. And, you know, ultimately, um, the day that we found out that he had fentanyl in a system, we didn't really know at all, you know, what fentanyl was all about. Hadn't didn't have a clue. I mean, that's one of the things that we're, we're doing as a foundation, as a family, trying to educate others on, you know, uh, what's really out there, what's really going down. You know, I've got a soon to be 17 year old daughter and, you know, the things that she shares with me, I mean, yeah. that she's exposed to, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And so, you know, his, his addiction, um, uh, gradually started to escalate. And I look at my text message with him, uh, the last 30 days leading up to his, his death. And it's clear as day, you know, Jimmy didn't want to die. Right. right. I mean, he didn't, right. I mean, he loved his family so much. He would do whatever it takes to break free from that addiction, but it had his claws so deep in him, um, you know, that it, it was a struggle. And so these conversations we were having him and I, um, you know, changing his circle when he got out of treatment. I mean, all the things yeah. he was going to do and plan out. Yeah. And it took us, you know, several weeks to, to get him into a, a facility. And he, when, we, when, when he passed away, his calendar in his bedroom had the uh, X marks leading up to the time that he was going on a Friday. And, wow. you know, ultimately that final hurrah that he had, um, he lost his life. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, devastating our family is uh just like you jeff i mean you know every day it's difficult um you've got that weight on your chest i mean things like this certainly make it a little bit better when we can get out there and advocate um but it's a story that i said from the beginning that i think many people that are listening or watching <laughs> right now have have heard about right or experienced themselves so so your advocacy that you're doing, where do you see it evolving? I mean, what, what are the certain more projects you have in mind? Or, you know, is this something you want to uh, write a book about or, you know, do your own podcast? You know, what, what type of advocacy are you thinking about doing? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, certainly um, one of the things right now that's uh, already off and, off and running, because um, we didn't know, aside from the recovery residence, where else we could go with this. Now, I will say just a quick side note that, you know, the Owen Hoffa opportunity we're always looking for ways to provide opportunity for those that are in recovery. And one thing that we've been working on for quite some time that's almost ready to rock and roll um, is a food truck called Hoppa Beans and Biscuits. We were the winners mm. of a local, um, it was called the Carol Biz Challenge a couple of years ago, grand prize winner with this concept of, hey, let's create a mobile way to get out there, create connection. It's coffee, it's biscuits, but we're not going to be behind, you know inside of this food trailer. We're going to be out front connecting with the community, going to certain events. So there, there's that one piece of it. I just wanted to share quickly. 
Um, but the other thing that our program uh, coordinator has started, and his story is incredible, the original house manager that came in in July of 2021, um, of course, uh, had transitioned out of the home and became the first full-time employee for the Hoffa Foundation in July of 2022 as program coordinator. And as he's out there doing different things, uh, most importantly around the recovery residents, finding other ways to help folks out there, um, he secured a grant around transportation. So mm-hmm. the last cu- couple of weeks um, with this grant, what we've been able to do is he is actually utilizing um, either our own transportation um, you know, vehicles and, and services uh, or he's partnering with uh, Uber. And so oh, okay. he's got the ability now as he's, as he's out there uh, in the state of Maryland for those that need to get that ride quickly and swiftly to a treatment facility or wherever they have to go, um, we're in the middle of that now. So, um, oh. and that thing has picked up a lot of steam lately because transportation, what I've found um, is, is, is a gap, right? I mean, you gotta have oh, transportation. Yeah. So that's just one other area that we're currently working on. Um, but vision uh, you know, down the road, um, do we want to open up additional recovery residences? The, ac- the answer is absolutely yes, we do. That's, you know, in our community, um, there are several, uh, but we need more. Um, you can't have so, too many. Yeah. We only have four RCCs in Iowa. Wow. Uh, we have one in Cedar Rapids. I mean, Iowa is a state kind of late to the game. We still have fentanyl test strips that are illegal. Hmm. Uh, I think that's, I think that's changing, but you know, harm reduction here is kind of a bad word in the state of Iowa. And it's like, you go around mm-hmm. other parts of the country and it's, you know, I guess my thoughts always been, and I'm pretty naive in some of this. I'm only five or six years into this whole uh, mental health um, advocacy and the drug thing. I never, I never got into, um, I, I've never done to this moment. I've never smoked pot, um, but I was a full blown alcoholic for a long, long time. So and a gambler. So I understand the addiction, compulsive gambler, I understand the addiction elements, but the drug part has been really eye-opening for me. you really eye-opening for me. Um, especially with our son who got into marijuana early. Um, Seth died in 16. So, you know, his foray started back in, you know, 2010, 2011 and vaping wasn't that big a thing. It is today. If he was a teenager today, I'm sure vaping would probably would have been his gateway drug. For us, it was Adderall, to be honest with you. Um, that was what really started everything for him. Um, and then he got addicted to that. So he was prescribed Adderall, similar to Jimmy prescribed maybe opiates for pain. Seth was prescribed Adderall for attention deficit. So it kind of started from a doctor's visit. I'm not blaming doctors, don't get me wrong. But I think anytime something like this happens, it, we owe it to the deceased to peel back and go back and figure out the genesis. Where did this start? Where... Where was the moment as a dad that I could have maybe made a difference that haunts me, not in a way that I feel guilty, but it haunts me in a way that inspires me to find out why. And then if I ever do find out why, what can I do with that information? You know, that's, I think the beauty of advocacy and you're finding out once you start knocking down walls, man, geez, Tom, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you literally can't shut your mind off. I mean, I've got, like seven projects simultaneously and and you do too. And then when three get done, I add four and it's like, but you know, that's part of when you jump into something head first and you commit, you know, every moment that you can to make a difference. There's just something about being driven by passion and not by money, mm-hmm. you know, and I was driven by money for many, many years in the investment business and literally walked away from that career 
pretty much overnight. And now it's like, man, I'd say I never felt better, never felt better in a, in a situation. And I haven't made any money. <laughs> it's like, but I've never felt any better, um, doing what I do each day. And I know, I know you feel that way. And I think if there's a story to be learned from people watching us and all the other tremendous people that are advocates is that, you know, trauma and suffering and pain doesn't have to define you negatively. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of my, um, I say biggest highlights in this journey, Jeff occurred, um, right. You know, holiday season, um, every Monday evening, we, we, learned uh, from another recovery residence in Maryland uh, around the importance of one night each week, um, go out there as a board, as a team, have dinner with your residents, connect. You know, we do this every Monday night. We go out there, um, we have fun together, you know, prepping dinner, getting it ready. We all mm -hmm. sit down as one big family at the, at the Hoffa house. Once dinner is completed, we talk about, you know, that the highlights, uh, lowlights, you know, goals for the upcoming week, all those things in the holiday season, uh, multiple stories from the men in that house, they shared with us that up until they came in, you know, to the Hoffa house, uh, some of them are homeless. They weren't allowed to go back home. Their family really didn't want anything to do with them. They couldn't trust them. All the things that we hear out there and based on their recovery and the progress they've made the holiday season, some of them were going home and they were mm. staying with their family and they were welcoming them back in and they're reestablishing that relationship. And to me, that's like, you know, I mean, I get emotional about it because that night I'll just never forget, you know, when I'm hearing this from them, what that means. I can only think about my brother being in that situation. And that's what yeah. I share with others is if I can put my arm around another person, right, man or woman, and mm -hmm. save someone's uh, son or daughter, someone's, you know, sister, brother, uncle, cousin, aunt, then we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And my mother and father and others feel the exact same way. Yeah, and that's what I learned about harm reduction coming from, again, not knowing what that word meant a few years ago to now it's like, you know, you can't put someone in recovery that's dead. You know, you can't have a conversation about making better choices when somebody's dead. You can't, you know, um, and you can't do anything if they're dead. And so I think with harm reduction, that idea that let's meet them where they're at, let's make sure that they stay alive. And then we'll worry about everything else afterwards. And I think it gets too politicized. I really do. And I'm learning this kind of the hard way in some comments and things I make on social media and some people I follow that are really pro harm reduction. They buck heads with the people that are saying that, you know, these destroy cities and handing out needles to quote addicts is just making drug problems worse. And, you know, I guess you could say to somebody, you know what, what happens, that, what happens if it's your daughter, your son? And sure, maybe a few other people in that group makes their problem worse. But what happens if that needle that day that was clean and that was their moment of epiphany, that last hit they took, and then they became sober and they became an advocate and they became running a, a RCC somewhere and be, did a podcast, wrote a book and became that next inspiration. What if that one person just needed that one more day, that one more minute? Who's to judge? Who's to say that that? Every single person who quit doing drugs at one moment had that epiphany moment. I mean, everybody does. Even John, you go back to John back when he was, when he decided to quit, I don't know, 50 years ago or something. Um, he had his moment where one day he quit. What happens if he would have died the day before? All the good that he's done, 
And I think of Seth that way. I think, God dang it. If he's 29 this year, he died at 23. It's like, what if, um, you know, what if, uh, I had been a little bit more understanding. I didn't even know he was doing heroin. First of all, I had no idea. That was like, that was like the furthest thing on the planet. And I don't think it's pretty certain he wasn't really doing heroin. He had done it a few times and it just happened to be a batch with fentanyl, which is how it works today. One pill can kill, you know? Um, and I keep thinking about what if he would have had that someone there with Narcan yeah. and saved his life. And maybe he thought, Oh God, dang, I got a, I got a baby coming in three weeks. And he does his, his daughter's bright and she's beautiful. And maybe Seth would have said, wow, that's what I needed. I needed to almost die. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's what harm reduction is, is giving that, that person one more chance. And you know what? Maybe another chance, maybe another chance. It's like, I think as a society, Addiction isn't a moral failure. And the problem is that most people view it as a moral failure. And yeah, he did it to himself. Oh, he, he chose to take heroin. And so again, until we understand that there's a heavy disease element to this addiction issue, I think we're get, we got a long row ahead of us until we start figuring out how to present this in a, in a manner that society embraces it much more effectively to put people in a position where then they can themselves empower themselves to become clean and sober. And, you know, until it's your own brother or own son or your own wife, uh, most people aren't gonna, that's why my quote is purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. That's the quote on the back of my shirt. Purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. It's like most things in life, people aren't going to embrace until it lands on their front step. I couldn't get you more, Jeff. I mean, that's, you know, that's it right there. And, you know, to your point around harm reduction, I mean, you know, conducting Narcan trainings in the community with our, our connections out there and we have different events, you know, um, we've had a couple, you know, the, the national prescription drug take back day we had at the facility at the funeral home mm-hmm. parking lot right. and they're training folks there and some other things. I mean, you know, it's important to, to educate and, and make sure there's awareness out there. I mean, I met a lady, um, you know, Roz Pichardo, you may have heard of Roz. She was in uh, Tipping the Pain Scale up in, okay. uh, in what a Philly. Great, what a great documentary. Yeah, yeah. She really came good. down to one of our events and I got to uh, have dinner with her and meet her in person and talk to her. I actually picked her up from Penn Station and, and brought her back into uh, out here. We were having the event and, um, you know, she was talking about all the different things that she's doing um, every single day, sleeves rolled up, you know, in the trenches and taking action. Right. And she's, she's sharing with... Uh, brief stories of people that she saved and she saved over a thousand lives out there and she's one person one person oh, was, she the, was she the one in the opening of the movie yes that's right oh wow yeah. cool in, in the kensington she was, area she was amazing she's incredible she calls everyone everyone's her sunshines um, yeah yeah she's she you know to, to share a couple of days with her and get to know her um was just she's an amazing person and she does incredible things out there um, you know, and as you know, she's a big advocate of harm reduction and, and, mm-hmm. but again, I mean, we have more people out there like Roz and it can make a, certainly make a big difference. Yeah. Just, you know, never, ever give up. And I did a, a presentation yesterday for the Marion East Rotary Club here in Cedar Rapids. I'm on the, um, international, uh, Rotary International Action Group, RAG for, for addiction prevention. So I think there's like eight of us board members and where Rotary now is very embracing the 
addiction epidemic, just like they did polio. They eradicated polio basically on, on the planet. They want, they want to eradicate addiction. That's, and I, it's a, I give, I give Rotary a, a, a kudos because a lot of organizations aren't touching that with a 10 foot stick. Um, and so I got to speak at Rotary up here. And as I was telling my story and stuff, it was just, I don't know, it was just amazing how many times I get asked what, what would be deemed a simple question that I just can't answer. And the question is, my son's smoking pot. He's making these bad choices, blah, 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 blah. What do I do to get him to stop? He's 37 years old. I'm like, I'm speechless. I'm like, well, I go back to just kind of the basic things you learn on the road is like, give them unconditional support, unconditional love. You don't have to agree with their choices, but you should respect them. Um, there's a combination of enabling. People say don't enable, enable. Yeah, sure. T t tell that to a mom or dad that's in the midst of this fight with their child. Tell them not to enable them. That That's just BS. And we got to start calling people out to say that. I get so frustrated. And I did enable my son, and I probably enabled my wife as well. Um, I don't know how you can't as a parent. Name me one parent that doesn't enable their child at some point, you know. Um, but anyway, this gentleman's asked me these questions, and I just kind of like froze. It's like, it seems like an easy question. What, what do I do? It's like, come on, Jeff, you're the expert. It's like, there's no template, man. There's There's no book. There's no thing you can just Google and says, here's the five things that you must do in this order and this time, because every time you make a decision, there's another uh, reaction. And then you got to make another decision. It's just like this complicated decision tree. And so I think the main tenets of uh, being a, uh, a good parent in that situation would be listening, right? Try to listen, really understand what they're saying to you. Don't judge. It's so easy to get mad. And I look back at conversations I had with Seth and, and even my wife, where I'm sure now with the knowledge I have today, Tom, I, I would, I'd have done things differently. Um, spoke maybe a little down to him, a little condescending, but you know, I guess that's what I would tell any parent out there that's really in the midst of this fight. And maybe you've got something to add, Tom, um, to listen, be understanding, don't judge, um, meet them where they're at. But then at the end of the day, you got to draw a line in the sand too. I mean, you, really have to. And people know my story. Seth got out of prison. He wanted to move back into the house. He was 23. You know, I had two other boys at home, young boys and my wife who's really struggling with this stuff. I couldn't let him back in. Mm -hmm. And he was dead within two months. And I replay this in my mind, you know, what if I would have said, okay, move in. But when you're dancing on that road with heroin and things like that, um, you know, it's inevitable. Something bad's going to happen. And so I just think maybe moving him in would have delayed the inevitable. I mean, that's kind of how my mind works, um, you know, uh, but I don't know. Anyway, I just want to know your thoughts on that kind of statement and what you think about the difference between enabling and tough love and what advice would you give parents that are in the middle of this fight right now? Yeah. So it's interesting, Jeff, because to, to your point, like there's, there's, I don't think there's any like definitive right answer around it. it's a combination right. of a variety of things to your point and i think that's the the you know the the woulda coulda shouldas and you know i wish i could rewind the hands of time goes through my parents head my head my all mm -hmm. every single day you know and we you know, fall down to your knees and say you know how can we go back and fix it we know we can't you know and so right. you know right. you beat yourself up over it and you try to pick yourself up and move forward but you know if, having a, a, a you know a daughter at sophomore in high school 
thinking about kind of where she's at in that sweet spot of she's going to be exposed to different things, right? A lot of right. things right now, it's, it's a critical time for her. Yeah. Um, what can I do as a parent? And and some of the things that become, you know, as top of mind, um, just around resiliency, I mean, just doing the right thing. I always say at work, it's always model the right behavior. What you want to see happen, right? Always model the right behavior. So mm -hmm. for, for her, it's, you know, I'm, I'm modeling the positive mindset. You know, we want to stay, make sure that, you know, we, we got the positive mindset going. We want to make sure that, you know, there's certainly a, a routine in place. I think routine's important as well. I mean, my daughter, you know, just like others, I'm sure, has that remote control to their life called a phone in her hand all the time. And yep. that screen time, I think, is detrimental to, you know, mental health for everyone. Yep. Right? But for kids, you know, I mean, you know, we all know what that can lead to. And so I think being able to break away from that and putting someone in a routine, you know, having that positive mindset, um, getting active. I think that, you know, the, the physical aspect of it, whether it's, you know, walk, run, lift weights, whatever, like that, yep. those things, too, make a big difference. Um, you know, so again, I don't have the answers, but I think that, you know, resiliency and just making sure that, you know, you're involved and you're, you're educated. That's the other thing too, is that yeah. you got it. You know, even if you don't think it's going to ever happen to you because, you know, people think that way and then boom, right. all of a sudden they wake up and their world's flipped upside down. Right. You need to immerse yourself into the knowledge. And I mm -hmm. think this is the opportunity right now for business leaders that are on LinkedIn listening or watching this is how are they infusing this? into their company, right? Right. You know, we've got, we've got different programs and we've got, you know, different uh, groups of people doing different things all for the better to impact an organization. What I don't see much of yet, right, are specific conversations around the things you and I are talking about right now, Jeff. And I think that could be a big difference maker as well. Yeah, I, I've kind of put together this little thing called the three pillars of the living undeterred mindset, you know, and it was because people asked me, well, Jeff, you know, what, what real short thing you could tell people, what are some like top five, you know, you, everyone's got these things. So I came up with these three, I think encompasses the mindset that really anybody you and I should have, but especially our, our Gen Z, the next generation of addicts and alcoholics, and they already are the most depressed, anxious generation of all time. Um, and so these are the three things I came up with. Um, first one was, uh, expectations. You know, what are your expectations? about life. Life can be mean, cruel, unjust. I think kids today just expect it to be something different. They don't expect things because they see everybody else on Facebook doing well and TikTok and driving Lamborghinis and, you know, everyone's going to Stanford. Everyone's, you know, a, a, you know, being a division one athlete, if you're in sports, you know, but if you look at the statistics, the statistics are way against you, but kids just have unrealistic expectations, no different than adults. I wrote my book. I thought a million copies would sell unrealistic expectations. You know, <laughs> I don't know how many have sold, but it's not many and that's fine. But I think it's a learning process. So expectations is big preparations. The other thing, um, you know, what are you doing daily to compete in the marathon of life? You know, what are you doing? And I ask this to people, what are you doing for your, you know, the, your, your body, the, the thing that gets you through the day, are you feeding it with pizza and alcohol and cigarettes and negative people? You know, those, those are all things that can really weigh on you and hold you back from your true potential. And the third one is evolution. And what evolution to me is, is evolution of yourself. So when Seth died, I evolved into a new creature, a new being. Um, when my wife died, I evolved. And so I went through all the stages, you know, denial and anger and resentment and all that. But I'm a new person today, 
even from last time I talked with you, Tom, I'm, I'm a different person tomorrow. I'll be. And I think, I think we expect things to stay the same. I think kids expect only good things. They don't want to work hard at it. And they, when something traumatic happens, they want to either repress it, which has been proven to be a disaster or they want to fight it, you know? Um, and, and it's like, it, 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 it goes counter to the natural flow of who we are, you know? And I talk frequently about, you know, fighting against the current upstream in, in a canoe, you feel like you're by yourself, but for kids, they're not by themselves. Most kids are in the same exact, exact boat doing the same thing. And so those are my th three things that I would add. And that kind of, that kind of, um, balances out or complements what you were saying about some of the things as well. Yeah. To your point, Jeff, you said something there that I think is extremely important. Um, you know, the transparency, um, you know, and, and the honesty and the, and the integrity, um, with our kids. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where with, with my daughter, again, um, she can share anything she wants to share with me. And she knows that dad won't, you know, get upset and start coming down and right. creating this where she never wants to come back to me again. Like we will ride in the car together and have a conversation. And, you know, when I, when I, sense that she's opening up and providing with more information, you know, I mean, it, it establishes trust, but it also, in my opinion, um, can mitigate some of the challenges that she could be facing, right? If we don't talk about it, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I've been there before, uh, maybe not in every situation, but I've been in many different types of situations growing up as a kid as well, going through my teenage years, going through my early twenties, different groups and different things. And, um, you know, so I think that's also something to your point, uh, is very much needed is having that open, honest, transparent relationship with your kids. Yeah. I mean, kids today, it's a tough time. It's uh, probably the hardest time ever to be a teenager. You know, when you and I grew up, it was simpler times, you know, I just, I'm older than you, I think. Um, but we just went outside and played and we didn't have all these channels and streaming and all that. And um, I'm not saying it's better. I just think we connected more with other things. Mm -hmm. I think we connected with nature. We connected even more with our friends. I think the relationships were deeper, more honest and authentic today with social media. It's just the wild, wild west. And, um, I think we owe it to our, that generation to figure out ways to, I think the pivot here, Tom, isn't to limit their time on social media. It's to make sure that the quality of the time they're spending is better. So, you know, they can still be on, if, I think, you know, the numbers, it's like five hours a day. Mm. I mean, it's an insane number. How many hours a day kids are on their cell phones? And I, I'd venture adults aren't too far behind. We pick on kids, but you and I aren't much different. I mean, I'm completely, when I walk out and I forget my cell phone, I feel like I'm naked. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we can criticize the kids, but I don't think adults are that far off, but like five hours a day. So maybe go to your kids and say, well, that's fine. I'm not going to be able to stop you from five hours a day, mm. but instead of four on TikTok. Let's do three and let's find another app. Let's find something we can be on that you're learning or you're still being distracted a little bit, but maybe it's an educational type thing instead of entertainment. The main reason kids are on TikTok is purely entertainment. But if we can pivot that a little bit and not punish them by lowering their time on social media, but just get the type of where they're spending their time, maybe there's something in that. You know, I, I don't know. I just telling kids not to do something. I don't know. Did that work with you when your mom and dad told you not to do something? <laughs> Nine and a half times. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Not very often. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. I mean, again, I'll go back to the remote control of our lives analogy with the phone. I mean, you know, it's basically, you know, we know what buttons they're pressing right now. I mean, we know the right. social media platforms are primarily inside of it. We can add some more buttons on that remote control that's going to make a greater impact to their overall well-being. That is the opportunity because you just can't strip it away and say you can't, you know. I mean, right. some folks do that, but we all know what that typically leads to. But if we can redirect them to areas where it can it can improve uh, you know, their mental health or improve their physical health or improve their relationships with other people, you know, that's, that's what's needed. Because you also said, you know, adults aren't too far off and we're not, we're not. I think the difference is, in my opinion, again, is that, you know, I understand, uh, you know, when you, when you put out content uh, from a kid's perspective, they post something, a picture, a video, whatever, the, the, you know, instant gratification or what they're looking for are the likes and the comments, how many people yeah. are commenting, how many people are liking. Right? right. And and when you get to the point where that doesn't really matter, because if right. my methodology around all this stuff is we're out in the community, like having an event, it doesn't matter to me if, if a hundred people show up or two people right. show up. If yep. one person is right. impacted by the message and it impacted them, a family member, whomever, and that we may, may never see it, but translated to, someone being with us versus yeah. someone passing away i'm okay with that so i think that's right. you know um in my view and as, as a, an adult you know so. and that's as simple tom as something like the prefrontal cortex because for you and i it's fully formed for children it's not and so that's reasoning that's emotions uh that's the fear regret the amygdala is uh, i think the fear um part of your brain where those things aren't aren't fully formed um Whereas for you and I, they are, so we can supposedly, we can ration, you know, be a little more rational, uh, less, um, our, our reasoning stronger, a little less emotional when things are said directly to us. Although I question whether adults on Twitter are any better than seven-year-olds on TikTok. I don't think they are. Um, but okay. So to wrap this up, I, again, I really appreciate your time. This has been a great conversation. Um, how do people reach you? What's the best way to find out more about you and um, how can people contribute or help out your cause? Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Um, certainly, we've, we've got really the main website for us is HoffaFoundation.org. And then I'll take you into the, the coffee and everything, HoffaBeans.org. Um, but yeah, just go out to HoffaFoundation.org. Uh, um, that'll take you to our different social media channels. That'll take you to uh, a lot of information out there. Um, it'll take you to our helpline, right? That seems to be... The main thing, you know, when you need help, it needs to be, you know, speed to act, take action right away. You know, that's our helplines front and center um, yep. on there uh, for all the resources that someone would need. So, you know, check us out there. And then again, you know, we're on we're on Facebook and we're on uh, LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, all those areas. Um, or reach out to us. You know, if anyone's out there just wants to have a conversation, you know, there's a little form you can fill out. We'll connect with you immediately and set up a call and you know get to know each other. So. Well, keep living undeterred and um, happy to, to have this conversation again. And thanks a lot for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jeff. Talk Take to you care, soon. Tom. Take care.